to the greatest teaching on the planet, the teaching of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mountain. And uh, we're in the sixth chapter now, and he's shifted from teaching about how to better live out God's uh, will from the Old Testament. He's shifted his teaching to how do we practically live day by day, week by week, as uh, followers of the God of the universe. And so last week we talked some about holy habits, and this week we want to dig deeper in the area of prayer. And so we'll pick up in the sixth chapter of Matthew, and there we'll pick up in the fifth verse. If you have your Bibles, if you have your uh, Bible on your phone, join along with me as we read, and this is the NIV, and this is what Jesus teaches. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and churches and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen, and then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans and the nations, for they think they will be heard because of their many words, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin and transgress against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins and transgressions, your Father will not forgive you your sins. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Can you pray with me? Come, Lord Jesus, I, I pray you'd come near us in a way that we would hear your voice and know your presence and maybe go deeper with you in our life of prayer than we've ever experienced before. Lord, give us the faith and the courage to try. And so, Lord, let your words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Oh God, you are my strength and our strength and redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus digs into the topic of prayer for us today, and, and prayer is an important practical thing for all of us. I mean, uh, there have been surveys done by Barna and others that show most all of us pray. Even agnostics among us have moments of need where we just cry out and pray. Even atheists sometimes will pray in their most desperate hours. And so prayer is an important part of life. And it's a critical part if you want to know the one who made you well. And so I want to hopefully help us today to figure out how we can 
deep in our prayer life. That's what I want as I've kind of dug into this scripture again, and, and it's always refreshing to me. It makes me challenged to think, Lord, how am I doing in my relationship with you? How am I doing in my prayer life? Because it's easy to have shallow prayers. And that's one of the things Jesus warns us about today. You know, he says, you know, there are those that love to pray just because they want to impress other people. Just because they want to show off. And, uh, and I, that's hopefully not my intent. But, but what we want to do is, he says, is, is we want to learn how to pray in the closet. In the secret place. Because when we can pray when no one else is looking, that's the place God hears, that's the place God rewards. And then he goes on and adds an addition, you know, you don't have to be like other folks you hear praying, especially non-Christian or, or non-Jewish folks, like the nations. The nations, when they cry out to God, they'll do all sorts of things. They'll babble, they'll shout, they'll try to use the exact right words that'll unlock the key to get their prayer answered, all those kinds of things. And, and again, Jesus says, you don't have to be like that because you want to know this. God already knows who you are. God already knows exactly what you need. So just trust him. Keep your prayers simple and trustful. And so as Jesus talks about this, it's an opportunity for us to engage in the greatest, most fulfilling, most joyful, most anchoring, uh, most rich relationship we can have as human beings. To have a relationship with the God who made us. It is, it is a great and incredible blessing. And so... I want my prayers to be better, stronger, deeper. My hope is today in our time together that maybe uh, what I share will help your prayers be a little stronger and deeper as well. Because Jesus challenges us that prayer is one of the greatest privileges and activities of our lives. As human beings, we are wired as relational creatures. We were wired for healthy, strong, awesome relationships. And that, that wiring starts with God. If we don't get our relationship with God strong and healthy, then often our other relationships suffer as well. And so um, we want to encourage you to pray and learn how to pray well. Now, as I say that... Um, I want to talk about a few things. One, he encourages us, pray in the secret place. Pray by yourself in, in the quiet place. That's the place God rewards. But I don't think Jesus is against praying as a community or praying as a group or praying as a church. Um, he doesn't want us to show off in our prayers, and some people can do that. But he also says in another place, right, wherever two or three are gathered, Wherever two or three are gathered, what is it? I am with you there also. So Jesus also mentions that there is a strength and a privilege and a power when we come together as a group and pray, not to be seen, but to reach out to God together with a hearty amen. And so um, it's a both and kind of thing. 
both individual praying and group praying. We do it together um, and to find God's blessing. And so in this journey, Jesus gives us the prayer we just prayed together moments before, the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that I think he wants us to note in some of his advice is this. This is not a magic prayer. We don't pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday because of its magical quality to get God to do what we want him to do. Prayer is not magic, like seeing the doxology or the Gloria Patri or other kinds of ritual that we do in church. We don't do those things because we believe they have an inherent magical quality. We do them because Jesus has given us a pattern of prayer that shows us how to take our prayers deeper. And that would be, again, my encouragement for you today. I know some of you said, oh, Chris, I'm not very confident in my prayers. In fact, I've never prayed in public. And if I had to pray in public, I would be frightened to death. I, you know, I wouldn't be seeking people's praise. I would be ready to hide in my closet just to get away from the opportunity. But even for you, I, would, I want to encourage you, whether it's with your family or with your spouse, find a way to practice and grow. Uh, kind of like Peter, you got to get out of the boat sometimes and walk on the water. You know, and so it, it can be a simple prayer just to pray out loud for your first time to say, God, I thank you for, and then just fill in the blank. Do that out loud. You'll find that when you do it next time and the next time, it's a little easier. Or, God, I really need your help. Fill in the blank. Those are two basic and easy prayers. You don't have to get fancy. You don't have to use these and thous. You don't have to just talk to them like you're talking to your father or your mother or your best friend. That's what the Lord wants. And that's how Jesus, in fact, teaches us to pray, right? So let's look at the prayer of Jesus and how it can help us pray better and stronger prayers. First line is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In this short phrase, our Father in heaven, we get the fullness of who God is for us. And in this prayer, we are seeking to encounter the creator of the universe. But it's not a creator that's off in heaven, separated from us, uh, not concerned about us, kind of aloof. No, it's, it's a God in heaven who is our Father. And in this prayer, Jesus gave us a great privilege to see God not just as creator, not just as almighty, not just as holy and other and awesome and terrible and tremendous, but to see God who is a dad, who loves, who longs to wrap us in his arms, who loves to say good boy or good daughter, who loves to be close to his children, our Father in heaven. In this, we see both God's intimacy for us and his transcendence as one who is totally other and different from us in our world. And in this amazing uh, mixture 
we find a God who we can love and adore and trust. I want to talk about this a little deeper. In the church today, there has kind of been a movement away from calling God our Father. And part of it has to do with the whole gender thing because God is spirit. He's not a guy. He's not a male. He's not a female. He's above all gender, right? But a second reason often is, is people say, well, you know, there's so many of us who grew up with a single mom or grew up without a dad or grew up with a dad that was broken and dysfunctional and abusive and so we just have no idea how to, how to relate to God as Father. For, for some people, that becomes a barrier. And I get that. But on the flip side, what I think about is this. How many of us who maybe grew up with a single mom or grew up without a father wish you had a dad? Wish you had a father. Wish you had someone you could look to and, and seek and, and trust and believe in who, who just might love you for who you are. If you're searching a father, what Jesus is telling us is you have one who's in heaven and he can be the perfect father. Our earthly fathers sometimes were never able to be. And so instead of kind of pushing the father language away, I still believe we ought to embrace it because in it is a great gift of a God who loves us. And it's a gift that most other people and religions have not had. I want to tell you a story today from Dennis Kinlog. Dennis is a great mentor of mine, probably one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. He's in his 90s now, I believe. But he tells this story about this prayer. We as Christians often forget how privileged we are. We enjoy many benefits of the gospel that people in other religions never understand. You see, several years ago, I had the honor of hearing a woman from Pakistan tell about her conversion. For many years, her husband had been a major figure in the Pakistani government. She told she told about reading the New Testament and how impossible it was for her to believe that people could begin a prayer with the words, Our Father. One thing she knew about Allah was that He was different, not like humans. He was greater than human beings and infinitely different, and human categories could never be used to describe Him. Certainly not one as personal and direct as Father. She said that when she came to faith in Jesus Christ, her first response was to lift her heart and say, Father. And the moment she uttered the word, she fell on the floor in absolute terror of being killed for her impertinence. But instead... The Heavenly Father came to her in all his love and compassion, and she heard one word, daughter. She recalled, I wept uncontrollably at the reality that God 
in his sovereignty and greatness could belong to me. And that kind of relationship. He is our Father. Do we need a reminder of the depth of the love and compassion he has for us? Jesus gave us a great gift in this prayer. To see God not just as holy and as awesome and as powerful and as wise, but as our perfect dad, whose character we can trust and who we can love because we know he loves us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is, God, make your name holy in our lives. Make it great, make it tremendous with us and with everyone else. Now, I see here a key that we often just kind of zip through. I know my moments when my prayer has been strongest is like I've come to a place where, where my mind and heart enter a different realm, right? When I start praying, oftentimes, I don't know about you, but it's like there's this big thud wall, like a, I don't know, a big lead wall, you know, 20 feet thick. And it's like, Lord, whatever I'm saying must be bouncing off the ceiling, right? It's coming right back at me. There is nothing there at all. But I think one of the things that the early part of the Lord's Prayer is trying to teach us is that we're seeking to kind of push beyond that in our prayers as best we can, to kind of push and push and push until we can get to a place where we set apart our Father as holy, that He is all-wise, that He is good, that He is love, that His character and His who his nature is and his power that created this vast universe, that all of that is for us. Sometimes that helps with that is when we go outside. Maybe in the evening when the stars come out and we look up and we look up at the stars on a cloudless night and we're reminded how infinitesimally small we are and how this amazing God could create this whole thing of the universe with just a word. Now the Bible says, and he created the stars also. Just like that. Perhaps we gain a deeper recognition when we're out on the ocean or up on a mountaintop looking out. Sometimes scenery can help us, right? Get a glimpse that we are small, that this world is amazing and beautiful, and so the one who made it is also amazing and beautiful. And when we can kind of get a glimpse of who God really is for us, it's like we enter a different place and the 10-foot the lead wall disappears and we enter the throne room of Jesus. And in that throne room, we then know that we're in a conversation with the Holy Almighty and that he hears us. And so in that place, we begin to petition him. And the place where we start that petition is, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this part of the prayer, brothers and sisters, is this is where the prayer of Jesus gets radical. It's radical and real. Because this prayer is the prayer of a revolutionary. It's the prayer saying, Lord, when we look at the news every evening, 
when I look at people bickering about politics, when I look at people picking up a gun and taking out three or four folks at a time every night on the news, I've had enough. Our world has had enough. And Lord, we need, we want, we, we command, let your heavenly kingdom, let your reign, let your rule spring forth and transform this broken place. Let it transform our broken hearts. Let it transform our broken lives. This is a prayer of a revolutionary. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Just like, Lord, you reign and rule in heaven, let that rule come down and impact us with your goodness, with your love, with your power, with your wisdom, with your purpose. And so we begin this prayer by saying, God, now that we're in your presence, go to work. Don't sit on the sidelines. As your people, we need you to be at work in me and in you and in all of us. We need you to be at work in our leaders. We need you to be at work in our nation. We need you to be at work in the world. Let it be transformed. And then as we place that transformation before the living God, he takes us now we can finally get more to us. And so we turn our attention a bit from the world and what God is doing to transform the world and us. And we say, Lord, here we are in the midst of this. So here I am today, Lord. Give me this day my daily bread. Give me this day my daily bread. It seems like a strange way to phrase it. I, I think Jesus says it this way because he wants us to, to kind of pull out our deeper biblical knowledge. He wants to go back to the Old Testament. He says, you remember that time, guys, when the people of Israel were out in the desert. And out in the desert, they'd left Egypt. Moses was leading them through the midst of the sea on dry ground. And once they get over there, God gives them his Ten Commandments. But it seems like every step they go, they're always complaining. They're always rebelling. They're always kind of a stick in the mud, right? They're coming up and saying, whining, Lord, we're thirsty. If you don't give us water to drink, we're going to rebel. You know, we're going to cry. We're going to have a pity party. And they'd go a little further and he'd say, they'd say, okay, God, you've given us water from the rock, but, but now we're getting hungry too. Could you feed us something? And so he'd give them manna on the ground day after day after day, bread, bread that would just show up every morning when the sun rose. They'd, after a while, they said, we're tired of this manna. We've had manna porridge and manna stew and manna bread, and we've had all the manna we can take. God, we want, we want some real food. So he gives them, he gives them birds from the air who come down in flocks and but they just keep complaining and keep complaining and keep complaining. But out there in that 40-year period of the wilderness, they were supposed to learn. They were supposed to learn that they could have faith that God would take care of them day after day after day after day. That God would give them their daily bread when they needed it. They didn't have to whine. They didn't have to complain. They didn't have to worry. They just had to lean in and trust. In fact, this is how the manna worked. If y'all 
know the details about how manna worked. In the morning, it would show up on the ground. And so the first day it showed up, Moses said, okay, guys, go out and collect it. But you only need to collect enough for you guys to eat, your family to eat today. Don't collect any extra. Don't store it for tomorrow. But do the people listen? Of course not. Hey, there's more on the ground than we need. And so they began to collect more than they needed. And they stored in jars and they put all the jars out. And ah, we've, we've eaten half of it today. We'll have more tomorrow. We're good. And uh, the next morning, right, what happens it's all maggots. It's all yuck. It's all spoiled. And the Lord says, now, now this time do what I tell you to do. Just get enough for today and trust me. And so they would do that. They would do that Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And then Friday would come, right? And on Friday, they, Moses told them something different. He said, listen, tomorrow is Sabbath. Saturday is our Sabbath. So we're not going to do any work tomorrow. So today only, you pick up twice as much as you need, and you can store it today. And so this time they obeyed. They did what they were supposed to. They collected two days' worth. And the next day, it wasn't yucky and spoiled. It was good. And so the pattern of Israel and in the desert was a pattern of learning to trust the Father to provide, to take care of us day after day after day after day. Give us today our daily bread. And so this prayer is basically saying, Lord, I'm having a lousy day today. You know I need your help, and you know what I need. You know what that looks like. Now, I would prefer it to be this and this and this and this, but I'm going to trust you that you are going to give me exactly what I need to face the challenges I've got to face right here, right now, today. Lord, give us today what we need for our daily bread. To learn to depend on him every day we get up and every night we lay down to sleep. Give us today our daily bread. Then just a few more pieces, but still very important parts. Verse 12 then goes on and says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus acknowledges here that as human beings, um, we make mistakes. Not only make mistakes, we get it wrong. We act selfishly, boneheaded, uh, and we just mess up. So Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross in order for his death to offer us forgiveness. And so he invites us to ask every time we come to God in prayer, Lord, I'm not perfect. Will you forgive me? Wash me clean and help me be yours again this week. And it's a good reminder because sometimes I think we think that there are some holy people out there who've got it all together. But if you read your Bible, you'll know that there really aren't any holy people out there that have it all together. I mean, think of Father Abraham, the starter of, of the worship of the Lord, who he would lie about being married to his wife Sarah so he wouldn't get in trouble when he was with uh, foreign, foreign nations. Or think about, for instance, um, gosh, Jacob, Jacob's name meant wrestling, and so he would go in and he would wrestle away from his twin brother, his inheritance, 
and he would get his older brother's inheritance and he would wrestle away with his uncle. They would see who could out-connive the other in terms of, uh, of uh, putting one up on each other. It, it, he was just a conniver all his life until God got him in a wrestling match and changed it for good. Or think of King David, the man after God's own heart, right? The man who, who knew God loved him. But yet King David committed adultery and murder. And his kingdom faltered as he struggled to parent his children and help them follow the way of the Lord. We could look at Moses, and Moses couldn't go into Israel. Moses had to stop at the promised land and stop, stop outside the promised land because of his pride when he claimed authority in doing a miracle that God had done for him. All these things, they were imperfect people that God uses. And the good news is, is God forgives us. But it is, it's a conditional forgiveness, right? He, he gives us the conditions. Your father will forgive you and wants to forgive you, but you also must be a person who forgives. If you're a person who holds grudges, then God will have to hold his grudges against you. If you're a person who, who isn't able to let go of things that come into your life that hurt or harm you or your family, then, then you're not going to find forgiveness either. One of the principles of forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is God expects us to forgive one another too. And that's not an easy thing. That's why it's in the prayer. We've got to ask, Lord, help me forgive others like you forgive me. But it's key. If you want to have a healthy life in this world, you can't let the bitterness and the anger and the desire for revenge or, or paybacks, you can't let that stuff stay inside you. It will destroy you. It will make you sick. You've got to learn to let it go. You've got to learn to let go both the stuff others do to you and the stuff you have done that have harmed yourself. Forgiveness is a principle that sets us free. Amen? It's a principle that sets us free. And so Jesus puts it at the heart of our prayer. Um, and I want to say this about forgiving others. I think you can forgive others who have harmed you or harmed your family or done something that, that really has stuck a craw inside. You can forgive them, but still have boundaries in the future. Those are two different things. Boundaries say, I, I have forgiven this person, but I know this person is still an unhealthy person. I know this person where they are right now. They haven't found transformation in Jesus. So I need to pray for them to find transformation in Jesus. But if they, are not, if they haven't found transformation, then I need to set up some boundaries to make sure I minimize the chance that they harm me again. So I'm not going to be their best friend. I'm not going to just, oh, come, you know. No, you can have both forgiveness and boundaries. We see that with God. God has both forgiveness for us, but he has boundaries like the Ten Commandments. Both are okay. And so then there's the last piece, and after this we'll, we'll be ready to go. He closes by saying, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
And this has always been a kind of hard one for me because, you know, other parts of the New Testament say, well, God, the Father, would never lead us into temptation. So why do we pray, Lord, don't lead us into temptation? But in sort of getting some counsel from other theologians, um, I think the hint is here, God, life is full of tests. It's full of temptation. There are going to be moments where I'm going to come to a place and be tempted to take the wrong path. So Lord, in those moments, be with me. Lead me through it. Lead me out of it. Deliver me away from the evil one to the other side, to the place where I can, I can be closer to you. Because brothers and sisters, it's the tests in our lives that most help us grow up and grow as a follower of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we seek God to deliver us from the evil one. And it does say evil one. You know, I know in our day and age, we don't like to believe in a literal devil anymore. You know, we don't, the pitchfork and the things and all that. I get that. But one of the things that has struck, struck me recently, I've, I've been reading some C.S. Lewis. I've been reading his space books. Not many people read his space books. I've read his space books a couple of times now. And what strikes me about C.S. Lewis, this is a Oxford scholar, right, in the 1950s and 60s who was an atheist before he came to faith in Jesus. And when he comes to faith in Jesus, he talks about a spiritual evil in our world being a reality. One of the first books he ever wrote was The Screwtape Letters about how, uh, how an evil spirit would tempt this fella who's struggling in his faith in life. And it just impresses me that that for C.S. Lewis as a trained scholar, you know, all this kind of thing, who was an atheist, he comes to faith in Jesus, and then when he looks at the world, this guy had also been through World War I, and that's probably why he believed in a real spiritual evil, it was probably anybody that survives World War I would have believed that. And he comes to a place where he says, you know, there is evil in this world, we've got to recognize it, because there will be times of tests but we need the Lord to deliver us and see us through. And so I think that's, that can be a key for us making it through the tests and temptations of life. Then in our prayer, we close with the doxology, right? Because yours is the you know, honor and glory or however it goes. I, I could only say it if I said the whole prayer, right? But the doxology is probably added on later by the church as a way just to wrap it up and point it back to the Father, which would be appropriate. But brothers and sisters, what Jesus lays out for us is how to pray. These are the keys. If you can keep these before the Lord, forgiveness, making it through challenges, seeking your daily bread, asking him to transform the world, then you will be someone who finds that the Lord is with you and that God will answer your prayers. I, I close with one example of how God has answered a mom's prayer for her son a while ago. Her son grew up to be a teenager. She was a Christian mom. She'd been praying for her son his whole life. He got to be about 17 and was headed off to college. And while he was at college, 
he ran into a group of partiers, you know, some other guys who were older than him that he really wanted to impress. And so they were out drinking and partying and having fun, and occasionally they would steal from the local stores. And his mom had heard rumors about all this and was praying for him, Lord, get a hold of his life somehow, some way. But he just kept going off on the deep end. So much so, he he gets this young girl pregnant and, and has a son and child by this girl. And that goes on for, gosh, several years. And then he has another girlfriend for several years, but doesn't marry either one. And then on top of all that, there's this weird cult that comes along and he gets interested in this weird cult. And so for about 10 years, he's in this cult instead of in the church. And she just keeps praying and praying and praying. Until finally one day, he starts to realize that the cult isn't all it's supposed to be and that his life isn't all that he wanted it to be. And he's beginning to get hungry for wisdom and truth. And as he does so, he hears the voice of a child call him one day, say in Latin, lege tole, come and see, come and see. And he gives his life to Jesus and he has a mentor who begins to show him how to follow Jesus in his life. He goes home to his mom, her prayers answered, and goes on to be a preacher. Not just a preacher, but he goes on to become perhaps the greatest theologian the church has known. Today we know him as St. Augustine of Hippo, a rebellious youth, whose mom would not let him go, but stayed on her knees until the Lord did something kingdom-changing in his life. And all our lives have been touched by his life, maybe even more by the prayers of his mother. So may we be a people of prayer, too, and see what God will change in and through us. Amen? All right, let's go home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you today.